Greetings to the brightest audience in the country. Welcome to Bob Benyart Live. I'm the pastor of Denver Bible Church. America's Memorial Day wasn't declared a national holiday until Congress did so only in 1971. So that does make today, May 31st, 2001, the 50th anniversary of this official annual remembrance of those who sacrificed their lives for our country and for our freedom. Its roots go way back to the spring of 1868. That's a few years after the Civil War ended, when a large observance was held at Arlington National Cemetery in Washington, D.C. If you're ever there at the Capitol and you get to go see Arlington, you owe it to yourself to do so. It's just a stunning place to visit and to contemplate. Just three days ago, I officiated at a gravesite memorial here in Colorado at Fort Logan National Cemetery for the mom of one of the founding members of Denver Bible Church. We're so very grateful for those who gave their lives. And of course, every such sacrifice reminds us of him who gave his life the only fully innocent ever to offer up his life so that others could live. But with Jesus, when he died, it wasn't so that we could have temporary freedom or a few more years of earthly life, but so that we could live forever with those who trust in him. Wow. One of the best things that I can do, that you can do, that we can do. One of the best things that I could do to thank him and to remember and thank them all, those who died, so that we could live free, is to not sin. That's one of the best things that we can do. To honor God, to do what is right, to learn what is right, and to do that. People say, oh, you have to do what you think is right. That is absolutely false. That's what the wicked do every day of their lives. They do what they think is right. The Bible condemns that. In the book of Judges, it says there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It's terrible to do that. We have an obligation to find out what is right and to do that. To build a strong and sure biblical Christian worldview, and to live by that, to be faithful to our loved ones. If you want to help defend our country and uphold national security, then preach the gospel. Because those who live for the Lord, as they are loving him and obeying him, they are a threat to no one. They're not even a threat to the wicked. When you think about it, For when you rebuke the wicked, you're not threatening him, you're helping him. When you stand against the unjust, you're not harming that person, you're helping him. Even if it's on the battlefield, 
And even if it's out of the business end of a rifle, when you're standing against the wicked justly, you are helping that person. If God were to allow the wicked to have their way forever, he would be hurting them. Even God's incarceration of the wicked on Judgment Day and his banning them from heaven, even that is just, and it would be cruel to do otherwise to them. So let's do right and risk the consequences. And one way that we're especially equipped here at Bob and Yurt Live to do that is to share with folks the key to understanding the Bible. This has been a theme of our work for 30 years that we've been on the air. Now, we started just three weeks ago with this series, and we're near the completion. And now with our fourth installment, the key to the Bible, Jesus Christ was circumcised. Remember in part three, the key three, I gave what I called our false teaching. I gave an impassioned plea with Scripture. The entire thing was based on Scripture, much of it from the New Testament, that we need to teach people to be circumcised if they want to be saved, to be circumcised, the men, the male children, if they want to be in covenant relationship with God. Now, I said it was false teaching because it is false, but if you don't understand the plot of the Bible, and if you don't understand the plot twist in the New Testament, you will have a very hard time disagreeing with those powerful Bible verses where God said that circumcision is an everlasting covenant. And everybody who's anybody in the New Testament, they all get circumcised from Jesus on down. And they do so according to the law. So it was false teaching, but boy, was it a powerful false teaching. In fact, we argued that it was perhaps the best false teaching in the history of false teachings. So at the end of that, that was part three, the key part three. If you want to start at the beginning, kgov.com slash the key, T-H-E hyphen key, the key. We point out that you can read the entire Bible, Old and New Testament, except for just a small portion, and that's the teaching you would take away that we have to circumcise if we want people to be saved. There are only 14 books in the Bible that teach otherwise, and they are the 13 books written by the Apostle Paul and the book of Acts, which introduces Paul and is the transition from Israel to the body, from law to grace, from Peter to Paul. It starts out all Peter, and then it ends up all Paul, wall to wall, and there's a mid-Acts transition. So should Christians circumcise today? The biblical answer would be yes if the only scriptures believers possessed were the Old Testament, the Gospels, Hebrews, and the circumcision epistles of Peter, James, John, Jude, and the book of Revelation. Then they'd say yes. But it's Paul's writings in that transitional book of Acts where God confirms the repeal of circumcision for believers in the body of Christ. Many Christians can handle the biblical truth 
that the rules changed when you look at God's rules in the Old Testament and you come through to today. They recognize that at some point the rules changed. Not every rule, they'll point out, but many rules changed. What they have a very hard time handling, what millions of Christians refuse to handle, even though the Bible is explicit on it, is that the rules changed in the New Testament. That they can't handle. That the rules, God's house rules for the house of Israel and then the household of faith, the body of Christ, that there was a change of God's rules in the New Testament. That's what Christians resist, even though God explicitly teaches us this in the New Testament. You remember that the requirement of circumcision for salvation was dealt with in the Jerusalem Council. That's in the book of Acts. It was also dealt with elsewhere in Paul's writings. In fact, Paul utterly repudiates circumcision, even though God said that it's an everlasting covenant, and it is for his people Israel. The apostle Paul, who Jesus said, you are my apostle to the Gentiles. You get that? Not to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. Paul wrote to the Galatians, chapter 5, verse 2. And this is considered by many scholars to be the first book written in the New Testament. And I believe that it was. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you, in just that, Paul uses this construct when he's telling us something that no one else in the Bible said, but Jesus told him to say it. Jesus told him to communicate this command from the Lord to us through Paul. That's when he says, indeed, I, Paul, say to you, get ready for something that's unique, something that's different from the entire rest of the Bible. So to the Galatians chapter 5, the beginning of the New Testament, he writes, Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Wow. That's a change. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. How's that? Estranged from Christ. Paul says that the law is the strength of sin, that we've been delivered from the law, that the law gives passion to our evil desires. He calls the Ten Commandments a ministry of death and a ministry of condemnation. And he says that the Ten Commandments are symbolized not by Sarah and Isaac, but by Hagar, the bondwoman, and Ishmael, the son of the flesh. How's that one? So Paul has a diametrically different perspective on the Mosaic Law than does the entire rest of the Bible. And guess who gave Paul that view, that perspective? Because it wasn't his, because he was zealous for the law. He was a Pharisee. He was top-notch. Jesus is the one who said, I'm sending you as the apostle to the Gentiles, and no longer must the man be circumcised to enter into covenant relationship with me. If not for the Acts record, and many Christians 
really have a hard time if you say, would you sit down and explain to me the book of Acts? Many Christians have a very tough time doing that. Not only what's in it, the plot, the chapters, but what they mean, how they fit in to the overall account of God's revelation. But if not for the Acts of the Apostles and God's ministry to the Gentiles through Paul, no good Christian today would dispute the need for circumcision. Everyone would circumcise. Hence, it becomes clear why the early church wrestled with disagreement over this former requirement. And of course, as we've said repeatedly, so that Christians who are only first learning about this, so they they don't fear. If you have circumcised your male children, if you're circumcised, that's perfectly fine when it's done for social considerations. If you are circumcising so that someone could be saved or so that someone could enter into the covenant of circumcision, then you're sinning. And if you've done that to your sons, you don't have to uncircumcise them. You just have to let God know that you're sorry that you didn't persevere to rightly divide the word of God to understand what commands he has for you today, and you were following instructions to a different army, to a different covenant people. So some of Christ's early followers learned that circumcision was a godly requirement, and others learned that it was a forbidden practice. Isn't that something? The apostles, remember this, the apostles debated doctrine. That doesn't fit into the worldview of a lot of believers because they get their worldview not from the scriptures. But many Christians, they just don't realize that the early church held a vigorous, I'm talking about the apostles and their converts, they held a vigorous doctrinal debate over circumcision and the law. The New Testament adequately reports these disagreements. The typical Christian teacher, from my experience, his understanding of this first century matter, unfortunately, is an anachronism. It's a chronological misplacement of customs in regard to each other. Believers today insert the modern view of circumcision anachronistically into the apostles' time, mistakenly assuming there's no big significance to this issue. They really think it's not a big deal, even though the New Testament mentions circumcision more than twice as frequently as does the Old Testament, even though it's a lot shorter of a testament. This denial among believers about the significance not acknowledging that a significant doctrinal debate exists in the New Testament is usually based on oversight rather than hard resistance. But there are many Christians, as they begin to learn this, they dig their heels in. And they are absolutely resistant to what God puts on every page of Paul's epistles. Most Christians, though, simply have never thought about the issue. There's this corporate ignorance of the biblical material. But regardless of the cause, denial is not healthy, and this particular denial or neglect 
is especially destructive because you're confusing what covenant God has for you. And don't think you can do that and there will be no harm. The resolution of most opposing doctrinal positions today, where Christians split over theological differences, the resolution of most of those lies in the settlement of the first doctrinal dispute, circumcision. So when you figure out that one, you'll figure out most of today's today's theological disagreements. Many overlook the New Testament circumcision debate because they don't know what to make of it. Why should confusion exist among the apostles? How could that be? Weren't they inspired by the Holy Spirit? Why would they need to gather the leadership together to resolve the matter of circumcision and the law? And this is many years after the resurrection. Didn't they know the truth? Could the apostles themselves have been unsure as to doctrinal matters? Well, read the Old Testament and see how often the patriarchs really blew it. I mean, Abraham, Moses, David, how many should we mention? The priest, the high priest, you get to the New Testament, it's also a nightmare. The Bible is not a fake religious book. It has the flavor of realism because God is interacting with human beings who are very resistant when it comes to the truth. Even those who love God as many of his leaders in the Bible in all the harm that they brought about. So why would Paul condemn circumcision and condemn those who practice it for religious reasons and then turn around and circumcise a believer? Remember, he did that. That's exactly what happened. Paul actually circumcised Timothy. Now, if you have a solid understanding of why Paul would condemn it and then why he circumcised Timothy, then you're in good shape. That's great. If you don't understand why that would be, then could I encourage you, best thing to do is read through your Bible. We also make available the plot, It's My Life's Work, an overview of the Bible, which is the key to its details. Think about that. The Bible has hundreds of details, and any number of those are the source of doctrinal disagreements. So how are you going to figure out hundreds of details and hopefully get them right, most of them right, Well, the only way you have any reasonable expectation of doing that is if you have a solid understanding of the overview of the Bible. The overview of the Bible, the plot of the Bible, is the key to its details. And so we sell that, people purchase it, and in fact, somebody just bought it from Arvada. It's so interesting, you know, I'm not, obviously, I'm not a prophet, But the Bible has such uncanny insight in so many circumstances. When it says a prophet is without honor in his own hometown, right? So it was so cool just, what, two days ago when someone from Arvada ordered a copy of the plot. I mean, thousands of copies have gone out around the country and around the world. And it's that book and the revenue when people purchase the book and the audio teaching when I teach through these biblical issues. And basically, you're getting an overview of the entire Bible as we go through the plot. And so when people get those things, they help us financially 
to stay on the air and reach more people. So hopefully it's a blessing to them and then a blessing to others. And we have always offered a 30-day money-back guarantee. And we sell these things for not discounted prices. But we have always said if you can't afford the price on our store at kgov.com or call us 1-800-8N-YARDS. And if you can't afford the price, then just let us know and we make these things available for whatever someone can afford. So if you understand why Paul condemned circumcision and then turned around and circumcised Timothy, then you're in good shape. For those who are not sure, I encourage you, you know, get the plot, subscribe to our monthly Bible studies. But let me share with you now from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 16. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. So his mother believed in Jesus Christ, but his father was a Gentile, and so it's not surprising that he was not circumcised because the father would say, you're going to do what to my son? No, you're not. You're not doing that. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra in Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. You get it? So Paul, Paul was very concerned about the eternal soul of his fellow countrymen, the Jews, because Paul was a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin. His name was Saul, Shaul, a Hebrew name, but it was changed to Paul, Paulos, a Greek name because he became the apostle not to the Jews. That was Peter, James, and John. He became an apostle to the Gentiles. So when he would then bring Timothy as his assistant and go to the Jews in that region— then they would object to him, say, coming into their synagogue because he's not circumcised. And they would check. Just like if Paul wanted to bring him to the temple, onto the temple mount, they would check if necessary. And so Paul circumcised him not for covenant reasons, not so that he would be right with God. If that's what was going on, Paul would say, that is a curse. If somebody's going to tell Timothy to be circumcised, to be right with God, that is a curse because guess what? He was already right with God. He was already a disciple of Jesus Christ. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy. So he wasn't being circumcised so that he could enter into relationship with God, but for social reasons, because Paul was going to bring him to the Jews. So... What did Paul write about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9? When Paul went to those who are under the law, he went as under the law. Remember that? That's 1 Corinthians 9.20. And in the plot, we discuss that it's extremely significant. When he goes to those who are not under the law, he goes as one not under the law. But when he goes to those who are under the law, he goes as one under the law. Once Bible students openly see the dissension that raged in the first century and they understand its causes and its resolution 
And then and only then can they understand why God inspired Luke and Paul to record that fierce disagreement in the pages of the New Testament. Then they can solve today's most divisive doctrinal disputes with some confidence. Otherwise, yes, most people think, well, sure, my church teaches what's right. Well, how do you know that? Well, I pray and ask God to lead me to a church that teaches what's right. Well, and your sister across town, she prayed and asked God to lead her to a church that teaches what's right. And you're in a Seventh-day Adventist church, and she's in a Lutheran church. How's that? The Bible is the foundation for understanding its details. So everyone should admit the evident truth wholeheartedly. All Christians should admit that circumcision was a debated doctrine in the pages of the New Testament, and it was understandably debated. After all, God presented man with a twist in the plot when he no longer required circumcision. So this amazing situation existed among the early followers of Christ. It was Paul's converts, by the way, who were called Christians in his headquarters, Antioch. Peter's headquarters in James, Jerusalem. Jesus was Capernaum up in Galilee. But Paul's was in Antioch, and that's where Christ's followers were first called Christians. We read that in the book of Acts. So here's the amazing situation among the early followers of Christ. Believers in Jerusalem were living by circumcision and the law, while Paul condemned such teachings. And this was exactly as God wanted them to do, because he had two covenant peoples operating at the same time. So many Christians can accept that the rules changed from the Old Testament to today, but they can't stand the notion they reject it, even though it's taught on the pages of the New Testament They reject the notion that the rules changed during the New Testament. That's what they hate. Even though Jesus and anybody who's anybody in the New Testament, they were circumcised. And then we're taught that if you circumcise, you're cursed. So clearly the rules changed. So we all need to be experts on where it changed, why it changed, when it changed. Remember the Jerusalem Council? Some Pharisees like Paul, right? Paul was a Pharisee. Remember that? Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Remember that? Hey, if you've been watching The Chosen, that dramatization of the life of Christ, it is so fabulous. It's by head and shoulders the best film production of Jesus' life and ministry, the apostles. It's truly amazing by Dallas Jenkins. If you haven't seen it, just get on your phone, your computer, and uh, get the Chosen app, and you watch it on your phone, you cast it to your TV as easy as could be. But Paul and Nicodemus, they were Pharisees. And various Pharisees put their faith in Jesus and became believers. Certain of those converted Pharisees, we don't know their names, but they're now Christ followers. And in the book of Acts, chapter 15, they insisted that the Gentiles should also be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. 
And these were the teachers of the law who trusted in Jesus Christ. How's that? We read in the book of Acts, chapter 15, quote, Some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed, that is, believed in Jesus, rose up saying, It is necessary to circumcise the Gentiles and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And let me read another verse here, same chapter. Certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So this is happening among the followers of Christ in many years after the resurrection. And it's in the Bible. But the vast majority of the body of Christ have no idea what to make of any of this. They almost don't even know that it's in the scriptures. They almost don't know. Our seminaries don't know. If they did, our pastors would know. This is Bob Enyart. May God bless you. This is Bob Enyart inviting you to read our manuscript, The Plot, for an overview of the whole Bible. Call us at 800-836-9278. That's 836-9278.